Yesterday, social media feeds were filled with black boxes, a signal of solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Some of those black boxes were posted by corporations. In this moment of unrest across the country, big companies, which are mostly run by white people, are confronting how to talk about race, especially in the workplace. The posts are just one part of that effort. Many companies are sending internal emails, holding all staff meetings, and putting out statements of outrage and solidarity. This has created a sometimes uncomfortable situation for Black professionals, as many process their own grief over George Floyd's death while in police custody and the clashes with police that have happened since. They're also dealing with the complicated dynamics of workplace politics. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, June 3rd. Coming up on the show, how protests against racial injustice and police brutality have become a workplace issue, and how the workplace is starting to talk about it. This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight, live tomorrow. Shop now at natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. Last night, I got on a Zoom call with the director of business development who lives in Miami. My name is Brigitte Lumpkins, and I have a great dog named Taco. I asked Brigitte about this past week and all the events that have taken place since the death of George Floyd. Honestly, um, the George Floyd news was not a big news event for me. It was like, oh, there's another one. When I first heard about it, I don't remember the moment. It was not remarkable. You know, I think for whom this event has pierced their understanding of the world, they may remember where they were, but this was not an unusual news item. It was like, here they go again. And I was like, I remember thinking, I hope it's good video this time, because a lot of times people who don't want to believe this is a thing that happens want to explain it away. But the story this time didn't get explained away. The video was graphic and quickly spread around the internet. I usually don't watch those videos because they're very traumatizing to watch for anyone, not just the Black person. It's just traumatizing to watch someone lose their life on camera. But I forced myself to watch a minute or two of it and was just so devastated. And then I saw the outpouring of outrage and I was like, oh, wow, this is like, you know, really, really, really impacting people. And, you know, finally, it's about time. After this started to build and become a national story that people were really, truly paying attention to, what was it like then at work? You know, I was just very careful, right? Because as a Black person professionally, you're conditioned not to lead with that because you don't want to make people uncomfortable. And I am in sales. My job is to make people comfortable and feel comfortable and sort of be that person whose call you do want to take, right? and whose email you do want to read. Like, I, it's not my job to show up in the room and be a Debbie Downer, right? Like, that's the opposite of my job. So I just, you know, I didn't really bring it up. In the workplace, 
we operate from a set of assumptions that many of the longstanding social issues and challenges should remain outside of the office and that it's a responsibility at work to focus on work. Dr. Laura Morgan Roberts is a business professor at the University of Virginia who researches race in the workplace. I've seen that balance play out in, um, I guess, with with the, the Black professionals using the metaphor of the mass, which has been a longstanding metaphor. It's this steady and shared intergenerational practice of masking the pain of racism and injustice and grief and loss and showing up to work as that twice as good with half as many resources or rewards professional who's beating the odds, okay? So you're just like fighting, swimming upstream, but you don't let them see you sweat. Let it roll off your back. Come in, be gracious, be pleasant, be cheerful, you know, compartmentalize. What we're hearing now and how it's showing up is that people in workplaces all over the world are saying, I can't do that right now. I can't paste on the smile. When protests over George Floyd's death became a nationwide movement, it became harder to keep that separation for Brigitte as the conversation began to infiltrate her work. People started to bring it up, right? I had a white coworker who called, which is like, how are you doing? How did you feel when that white coworker first reached out to you? Well, I was relieved because it's so heavy on my mind that like somebody gave me the space to talk about it, you know, without being sensitive and defensive and without calling me to like ask me to comfort them. I like, I don't, I don't want to comfort anybody. Like I'm tired. Checking in on how someone's doing is one thing, but at workplaces all across the country right now, white employees are asking black colleagues to do more work to analyze for them what's going on in the news. And while some black employees might be game to do it, it can also feel like an extra job. Here's Laura again, the professor. When people begin to offload sort of their emotions and the work, the action onto Black professionals saying, well, what do you think we should do? Or why are the Black people protesting right now? Why is there so much violence in the protests? I can't be the person who's carrying the weight of that work you know, emotionally, in education, or in advocacy right now. I need you to really pick up the mantle and take ownership of your learning process and and your activism. Mm -hmm, Right, because it's just like another burden, the emotions that they're feeling, but then also the burden of trying to educate their white colleagues. And trying to address sort of the unexpressed anxiety that everyone feels around race. When the majority group starts to become uncomfortable or concerned about these racial protests, and so you then have Black people, particularly those who have advanced in corporate settings, sort of trying to assuage those concerns, trying to explain what's happening but also trying to say, you know, don't be scared. You don't need to be afraid. It's not going to get out of hand. Or, you know, if it is, everybody's not like that. Everybody doesn't feel that way. You know, that's the comfort work that 
Black and brown people often bear in these moments. That extra work that some Black professionals say they're tired of doing in moments like these doesn't just happen in times when race is part of the national conversation. I mean, I think it's like there's a fatigue that we all share that's really pervasive. You have your day job, and then you have your whole other job, which is like presenting yourself in such a way that doesn't make people feel uncomfortable, which is like modulating your tone, making sure you don't code switch in the middle of a meeting, right? Making sure that you're avoiding topics that you think might make people uncomfortable and confront them with your like the reality of your existence because there's such defensiveness and such resistance to understanding what things are really like to be a Black person in America. You know, it's a very specific pain or challenge and opportunity, I guess you could say, to be a Black person, you know, in these environments where you're often the only one and you're trying to operate like normal, but you're really running at like twice the RPMs as everybody else to keep the same pace because you got all this other stuff playing in the background. How does the fact that we're all working remotely affect the situation? I actually think it's easier for me because I have my privacy to go through what I'm going through and I can like shut off my camera and like, I don't have to look anybody in the face because sometimes that's triggering. And like physical proximity to people who may or may not be expressing themselves in a supportive way would get on my nerves. So I think that it helps me. And I think, you know, I can easily shut down and just like, you know, take a break because I have had to take a couple breaks. You know, I don't have to put like all the extra energy you put in when you're going to the office, like a full face of makeup and like actually wearing pants, (laughs) right? Because it's easier to do all of this when you don't have to wear pants. But the small reliefs that come with working remotely don't solve the problems. And employees are calling on their companies to do more. But how those companies are doing it doesn't always work. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers. Removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Welcome back. Professor Laura Morgan Roberts says that her research shows the worst thing an employer can do in a moment like this is not do anything at all. So we know that when employers say nothing, that employees, they take silence as an endorsement of those behaviors. And so then for the individuals who belong to those targeted groups, they feel disenfranchised disengaged. They lose trust 
in the company or the organization, and they lose trust in the leaders. In the aftermath of George Floyd's death, some companies seem to be opting out of silence and actually saying something. We are seeing corporations, <laughs> I would say, moving at lightning pace to try to initiate and accelerate conversations about race within their own organization. So there's a flurry of town halls. I can tell you, I'm getting calls. My colleagues are getting calls. You know, people want to start these conversations and they want to start them like this week or next week. These conversations are starting to happen at the company where Dwayne Sands works at a video game maker in Los Angeles. I'm a uh, black, nerdy, video game, like, loving software engineer. When Dwayne started absorbing the news last week, he sat down with his boss. We have a weekly check-in, and he was like, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm be really honest with you. Like, my head's all over the place. I don't feel great. Um, I'm trying to concentrate. And so he immediately offered, he was like, well, if you need to take some time off, if this is hitting you at a point like you're in the day and you just really need to step away, he was like, that's open to you. You can totally do that. Don't worry about it, uh, which, you know, is great. It feels, you know, great. But at the same time, it's also like it doesn't fix the problem. It's not what I was hoping for. What were you hoping for? I think companies today have a responsibility to uh, not only be diverse, but also to be inclusive. And part of that inclusivity is uh, when a group is experiencing something like this, there should be a moment to acknowledge and to to really like put it into the wider forum and be like, hey, you're one of us. We understand that you're in pain. That sort of messaging has been coming out in the form of corporate statements over email and on social media. Laura has been looking at those statements, analyzing their effectiveness based on her research, and the tone of those corporate responses has been really varied. One of the best responses she's seen came from Best Buy. They acknowledged the death of George Floyd. They also referenced what had happened with Christian Cooper, bird watching in Central Park, being threatened with a call to the police because he had the nerve to ask Amy Cooper, please put your dog on a leash. And then even acknowledged what had happened recently with Ahmaud Arbery, who's jogging down the street. So Best Buy's post wasn't just a generalized statement about the fact that the firm sees itself as pro-diversity, inclusion, equity, but that they responded to the recent events and named those specific events. In the statement, Best Buy also acknowledged its own leadership's shortcomings. So they also said, you know, we don't write this because most of us have known anyone personally in a situation like this. We are, as a group, by and large, not people of color. So that honest reflection of the disconnect between their own representation and their senior executive team and the experiences that are garnering, you know, so much angst and pain right now, that helped with communicating the sincerity or the authenticity of this statement. A lot of firms are sort of catching some flack because they're not acknowledging the disconnect between this public, strong anti-racism stance and the lack of progress toward racial inclusion in their own firms. Do you have an example of a corporate statement that fell short? The NFL statement 
is one that immediately received just a groundswell of critique because it's not what you say in the moment, but it's placing what you say in the moment in an historical context of what has been said and done over a period of time. We are well aware of the groundswell of backlash against Kaepernick and others who supported that form of protest within the NFL. And so then for the NFL to make a statement without acknowledging what has happened prior, that's where it fell short. When we don't acknowledge some of the things that we've done in the past, it makes our current message feel more hollow. For Dwayne in L.A., his company's statement felt hollow to him in some ways, too. It said the company stood in solidarity with the Black community against racism and injustice. And they even end with Black Lives Matter, which, great, but that feels very rehearsed, frankly, right? Like, like we do this every news cycle. I'm looking for folks to really start to become more, more active in their efforts to fight injustice, racism, wherever they find it. Laura says research backs up what Dwayne is feeling. If companies make statements that show support for a cause, people really want to see that support backed up with action. Leaders who make strong value statements are then held to a higher standard for aligning the organization's practices and accountability metrics, you know, to that. When you make a strong value statement and then you're not walking the talk, there's going to be an even stronger backlash toward you than if you'd remained silent. It's that hypocrisy of saying one thing, but doing something very different. There's some evidence that this time, companies might be taking more action. After Dwayne's company sent out that statement, it actually announced that it would be donating to several social justice initiatives, and other companies are starting to make moves too. It's a bit encouraging to see that corporations like Bank of America just pledged a billion dollars to some form of social justice or anti-racist campaign. There are other organizations that we highlighted that are taking similar steps. But we're still hearing now the cries for what's next. What's next? So yes, thank you for the statement. It is more genuine when it's personal, when it signals opening, when it connects the past and the present. But now what are we going to do? And we're far from that. So we've got to invest the resources. We have to put our money where our mouth is and take up the long journey of building more inclusive and equitable organizations. That's all for today, Wednesday, June 3rd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to T-Ping Chen for her reporting on this story. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.